Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. Good evening and welcome to State of Minds. The 10 campus system of the University of California, as many of you know, is among the top ranked universities in the country. And it remains at the top by continuing to focus on three areas critical to the economic and social well-being of California. They are research, teaching, and public service. Tonight, our stories reflect that focus, whether it's brain research at UC Davis that will help treat patients with Alzheimer's, or solar trees creating a clean and sustainable energy source at UC San Diego, or KUCI, the campus radio station at UC Irvine that's a nexus for students and the surrounding community, or the physics professor at UC Berkeley who sees all Cal students as potential future presidents and is preparing them for the job. We'll start tonight in San Diego, where Larissa Brannon reports on UCSD's progress toward its goal of being green and how students are helping it get there. UC San Diego prides itself in being a leader in sustainability, and the 1,200-acre campus now has a one-megawatt array of shiny solar panels to show for it and plans for another megawatt in the making. One of the reasons that we're trying to do it is, is our researchers, as many know, uh, kind of led the way. We're leaders in identifying global warming, greenhouse gas, the effects of greenhouse gas emissions. So we, particularly as a campus, felt that it was the right time to green our operations, if you will. Students have been instrumental in helping us get this far. They've been a big part of it. Of course, they've been a force in moving us in this direction. And then from the project level, they've been integral to our project. We have several interns that work with us in facilities management, and they've helped us throughout every aspect of the project. Mark Galvan, a student intern majoring in structural engineering, worked closely with facilities management on the project to ensure that the solar panels were made visible to students. So students can really see what we're doing, see that we're making an effort, and uh, working towards that for the future. I think a lot of students, and me included, feel that sustainability is a part of our future, and that really we need to, to take control of that and really push for that. Erica Koselik, a student intern with the university's Green Campus and Environment Sustainability Initiative, makes student awareness her business. We're standing on top of the Price Center, which is sort of the hub of student activity on campus. And it's really great that these panels were placed here because students can look up and wonder, oh, what are those solar panels doing here? And it's sort of part of my job to tell them what they're doing here and why they're important and why the school is going green. Solar panels are springing up on campus in other forms, too. This is a solar grove, one of two sites located on campus on the top of a parking structure. Its form and function, each design of the solar tree is based on a natural tree. There's a trunk, branches, and canopy to provide much sought-after shade. But we really are trying to promote sustainability, and this is just one way of doing it, having an opportunity for people to see it here in action, if you will. As they come here and they park on the structure, as they walk by, you can see it from down below. So it's, it's really a, a great advertisement, if you will, for uh, renewable energy. Each of these solar trees will generate more than 17,000 hours of clean energy per year, and each trunk offers the option to install an outlet to charge electric cars. The solar groves and the solar arrays on top of the Price Center and other buildings on campus were designed, installed, and maintained by two local companies that are partnering with the campus in this landmark effort. 
The best part? UC San Diego did not have to pay for the installation. One of the things that is available in California, and us also with the federal government, are, are tax credits and incentives. Those types of vehicles are not available to a public university because we don't pay, pay taxes. So what we did was essentially lease our rooftops for a dollar a year to a third-party company that does pay taxes and allow them to do the development, the planning, the financing, the ownership, and actually sell us back the electricity from the solar panels. So uh, they get to take advantage of those things that we can't take advantage of, rebates and tax credits. We get to have energy at market or below market prices coming from a renewable source and it fits in perfectly with the, the, the academic strategy of the place, which is, again, to be a living laboratory, allow students to work on this stuff, look at the efficiency of these things, evaluate how they work. So it, it's a win-win for everybody. Another groundbreaking green energy project on campus is a student-designed network of five weather monitoring stations that will help the university identify the sunniest rooftops to expand their solar arrays. The weather stations will also use ocean breezes to cool buildings and use water more efficiently in irrigation and other uses. The university is also planning to store power produced at night from a planned 2.8 megawatt green fuel cell and use that energy during peak demand hours the following day when electricity rates are highest. And the way we're going to fuel it is by capturing waste methane from a, a wastewater treatment plant about a dozen miles from here, bring it up to the campus and create this renewable energy. That's the equivalent of roughly 2,500 homes worth of energy. In all, UC San Diego's smart energy grid provides a model for California and the nation, as well as a source of inspiration for students. I think the importance of having um, solar panels and fuel cell and new green technologies on a college campus is particularly important because it's a living laboratory for students. Students, the turnover rate is every year a class graduates, every year a new class comes in, and so we have the opportunity to educate you know, year after year of students about green technologies and a university is an innovative place, it's a place where you do cutting-edge research and having these technologies here not only demonstrates the university's commitment to green technologies but it also demonstrates its commitment to teach its students about green technologies and empower them to have the skills and knowledge to go out into the workforce and become part of the green job revolution. In San Diego, I'm Larissa Brannan. Next tonight, Physics for Future Presidents. Roxanne McCosgen takes us into the classroom of UC Berkeley professor and author Richard Muller, where he is training the next generation of leaders on the principles of physics that he believes they must know to create smart public policy. So yes, the electricity is going through me, through my body, down to the ground, and then coming back to the apparatus, and I'm not killed. There's a great joy in teaching. Uh, it, it's one thing to know something. If there's nobody to share it with, it, it, it's not nearly as much fun. You walk into a classroom and you get immediate reward. The students let you know right away if you're doing a good job. It's instant feedback. Richard Muller's enthusiasm for spreading the lessons of physics beyond the science departments led the UC Berkeley professor and senior scientist at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab to launch a course for the rest, all those non-science students who don't plan on making physics their full-time job. I think if you dislike physics, it's not your fault. I think we teach it badly. We're frequently teaching only to the students who are going to become future physicists. 
Well, we don't do that with English. We don't do that with history. We, we, we teach everybody that. We need to do that with physics, too, and that's what I'm trying to do. And he seems to be succeeding. His Physics for Future Presidents course packs in 500 students every semester and was voted Berkeley's best class by readers of the student newspaper, The Daily Cal. Now your course is being webcast by the university throughout the world. That's been a wonderful experience. The university asked me if I'd be willing to webcast, and I said, what's that? You know, and they explained it to me, and I said, oh, that might be useful if one of my students misses a class. So I asked my class, I said, would you please email me if you're using the webcast? And I, I got an answer from Missouri. So the next lecture I said, anybody's not in Berkeley, please email me. 87 countries so far, uh, including one from Timbuktu and from a high school student in Malaysia who was so grateful to the University of California for enabling him to get an education on things that he couldn't possibly do in his own country. Not satisfied with teaching physics to tomorrow's world leaders, Muller wrote a book directed to today's leaders. In it, he uses everyday language to explain the science driving the world's most pressing problems, global warming, terrorism, energy, nuclear weapons and power, and space exploration. I think there have been mistakes made in the past simply because people at the high level, not just the presidents, but, but congressmen and, and, and legislators, uh, have not had the background they need. The president, if he or she doesn't understand the physics, then they don't know how to balance the diplomacy, the economics, the science, all these things. My feeling is it's not good enough to have a good science advisor. The president, in this case, uh, our upcoming president, Barack Obama, needs to understand this stuff himself. Boy, with all the things on a president's plate, can we really expect them to learn the physics behind these problems? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Just as we expect a president to know the difference between Shiite and Sunni, the president has to know the difference between a uranium bomb and a plutonium bomb. Uh, if the president doesn't understand this, it's hard to make decisions with what to do about North Korea, what's going on in Iran. Something almost everybody gets confused about, that's global warming and the ozone hole. Muller spends a good portion of time in the classroom and in his book debunking many of the myths about issues like global warming. One, you have to recognize how bad it is. And, and the surprising answer is that so far it hasn't been very bad. We've had about one degree Fahrenheit of global warming so far, none whatsoever in the last 10 years. You need to know that because otherwise you will misunderstand when, when people criticize global warming, they say it's not real. The reason they're saying it's not real is there hasn't been any in 10 years. But we don't expect it to happen every year. It's a gradual thing that builds up. The problem is going to be the developing world, but if they can't afford to follow our example because it's expensive technology, then it's not going to address the problem. And I noticed in your book that one of the most important things that the president needs to consider in all of these issues have to do with the relative costs. Yeah, some people think physics doesn't involve costs, but any, any physicist knows that to do an experiment, you have to bring the price down where it's affordable. The cost is central, uh, the, the cost of uh, space exploration. It, it costs one-tenth to do it with robots compared to humans. So there are some places where you might want to bring humans, but for the most part, if you can do 10 times as much with robots, you're much better off doing that. Does the president's success in any of these areas depend on his understanding of the physics behind them? I think so. Let's take an example of terrorism. 
the North Korean nuclear explosion uh, was about 400 tons of TNT equivalent. That sounds like a lot, but if you realize that the um, airplane, one airplane going into the World Trade Center carrying 60 tons of jet fuel, when that burned, it released the energy equivalent of 900 tons of TNT. 900. It's more than twice the energy of the North Korean nuclear, nuclear bomb. His ability to explain high physics in simple terms came in handy during his 34 years as a science advisor to the departments of defense and energy and NASA. But as down-to-earth as is his approach to talking science, Muller also keeps his head well above the clouds when it comes to his research in astrophysics. He studies cosmic microwaves and supernovas, among other things, work that has won him prestigious awards from the National Science Foundation and the MacArthur Foundation. He says it's the mix of research and teaching that motivates him. I think Berkeley has a unique match of wonderful students, a, a great deal of uh, freedom. Uh, I am encouraged to follow my crazy ideas and see where they lead. I can't imagine a more wonderful place to be uh, for someone who's interested in gaining new knowledge and in spreading that knowledge. <laughs> oh, thank you for sharing that with us. I'm Roxanne Makashchen in Berkeley. If you'd like to see Roxanne's extended interview with Professor Muller, go to our website at uctv.tv. Up next, understanding the human brain, the first step to developing treatments for mental disorders. As Paul Fotenhauer explains, that's what they're doing at the Center for Neuroscience at UC Davis. Our heart, lungs, and kidneys keep us alive, but the brain coordinates it all. The brain is the most energy-consuming organ in our body. It sends and receives electrical impulses along a vast network of billions of neurons that control our thinking, our language, and our emotions. Despite dramatic scientific progress, the way that the brain works is still much of a mystery. At the University of California, Davis, a team of true brainiacs at the Center for Neuroscience is working to unravel that mystery. They are trying to understand the causes of mental diseases, such as schizophrenia and dementia. We've learned more in the last, say, decade than the entire history of the world. But where we are right now, in terms of understanding how the brain works and how the visual system works, is probably where the Wright brothers were in aviation. The Center for Neuroscience is home to 25 faculty members who are considered basic research scientists. Basic scientists bring this very important fundamental understanding um, to, the, um, to the MDs so that they can then translate that into the clinical health. It's kind of like from bench to bedside. And, try, and the better integrated we could be, the more effective treatments will emerge. Sacramento area brain surgeon Praveen Prasad says the collaboration between the scientists in the lab and the surgeon in the operating room is critical. We're entirely dependent on basic research. There's very little that neurosurgeons actually do to advance treatment. Okay? We, we perfect surgical techniques, but mostly we're applied scientists. We take what is learned in the neuroscience laboratories and bring it to treatment of human beings, but the real core, the real hard work, is really done by the neuroscientists in basic labs. Come on, sixes. One of the most devastating effects of mental disease is the loss of memory. 
Today, for example, four million Americans suffer from Alzheimer's, and experts say it is expected to quadruple in 30 years. And it's not just older people who experience memory loss; it also strikes those who have had strokes and heart attacks, as well as those who have psychiatric disorders like schizophrenia and depression. The more we can learn about the brain and the way the brain is wired to do normal memory, the more we can figure out how to improve those functions. So we can use our knowledge of the brain to help us come up with better ways to improve memory, both in terms of finding different kinds of drugs, for instance, but also in terms of different kinds of training procedures that people can do to exercise their brain in certain ways. Thanks in part to advances in neuroimaging technology, researchers who study memory can look at the brain while it thinks. For example, this team has been studying the effects of little strokes that people suffer as they get older. So little they may not even notice them. But it turns out that these little strokes are actually very preventable in the sense that it's like you can treat hypertension, which increases your risk factors dramatically. There's things like diabetes, which increase your risk factors.、Uh, exercise is something you can do to actually reduce your risk for these kinds of strokes. And so I think this is a is a big breakthrough that we've made. Getting answers at the basic research level has also helped Carly's team at the UC Davis Medical Center understand what happens to brain function for those who suffer from Alzheimer's. Anna Marie Ortega has been caring for her 88-year-old mother Teodora since she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's eight years ago. Teodora has been under the care of a team of doctors at the UC Davis Medical Center's Alzheimer's Disease Center. She used to be very agitated and very angry all the time. Physically, she's doing really well, and you're taking good care of her. But I agree with you in what you described to me that her memory has gotten worse. It's a horrible disease. It's absolutely horrible, mainly because you don't see the the. You don't see the broken arm or the broken leg or something that's wrong with them. They look perfectly normal, but yet their brains is not there. De Carly's Alzheimer's team at the UC Davis Center is working to help the growing population of elderly with this form of dementia and improve what is known about the disease for those who must endure it. In the last five to ten years, we've learned what enzymes. Lead to the creation of this abnormal protein. We learn that it's the accumulation of this abnormal protein that that kills the brain cells. By removing this abnormal protein, De Carly says doctors may be able to slow the progressive nature of Alzheimer's. Research scientists are also finding clues that help explain how other diseases affect memory and thinking. And you can see where the synapses are. Kim McAllister's lab is a busy place. Postgraduate and graduate students work shoulder to shoulder. In cramped corners, learning about how the brain's chemical messengers work, to control thought and movement, the brain sends and receives electrical impulses by way of a vast network of neurons. These impulses use chemical signals to leap across the gaps between neurons. Ten, fifteen years ago, I would have said, "There's no way in my lifetime that we would ever be able to identify that." And now I think I can safely say, without exaggerating, that within my lifetime, I think that we're going to see tremendous、um, increases in treatments for disorders like Alzheimer's disease or traumatic brain injury. 
McAllister says her efforts to explore the brain's engine are buoyed by tapping into the mind of other researchers here at the center. The center structure here is really, really unique because what it does is it brings people with very different backgrounds and very different approaches to neuroscience questions together in one area which allows us to interact and it's those informal interactions that really lead sometimes to um, the most productive and exciting collaborations. UC Davis scientists say they're hopeful that mental diseases will be treatable in the future. Building knowledge about the biology of mental life is what the UC Davis neuroscientists do every day with teamwork and an unending thirst for knowledge. Reporting from Davis, I'm Paul Fodenauer. Finally tonight, KUCI, the non-commercial radio station broadcasting 24-7 from UC Irvine, attracting listeners and DJs from throughout this coastal community. Rachel Bradley gives us a tour. In an unassuming trailer on the campus of UC Irvine, college students and community members are coming together to send out a unique signal on the radio dials around Orange County. From the album Swinging Bridge on KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine, it's now 11.15 in your morning. KUCI first went live in 1969 with this. Now in its 40th year of operation, KUCI is home to some of the most original programming in college radio today. The music philosophy at KUCI is to play only new music, essentially new artists, unheard artists. Maybe somebody's been around for a while, hasn't been a big seller. Uh, the, the rule of thumb at KUCI is if an artist has been in the Billboard 200 or 100, we will stop playing them. There's no commerciality to it. It's not, we're not trying to sell anything. We don't have anybody to, uh, anybody to like, come after us and say, you're not playing this, you're not playing that, you're not selling this product, you're not selling that product. We have no ads. We can do whatever we want, essentially, and that we do. Like, we have a show that plays only musicals next to a reggae show, next to a show where a guy reads out of books and plays fiddle music, and next to a punk show, next to a, a country show, and it just keeps going on like that, like noise into world music, into whatever. They tune into KCI because they want something different and something fresh, and that, that's what our station provides, a new perspective or new ways to discover new music. Though their shows may be drastically different in style, KUCI DJs share a passion for radio. It's a place to hang out. It's a place to talk to people, socialize, do your radio show, of course. So I don't really see doing radio as work. It's more something for me to enjoy. The entire thing with most of the DJs here is we all do our shows not because we want to be, be big radio personalities, it's just because we just love music so much. My uh, show name is Umbrella Party, and I play uh, mostly new rock and stuff I found out, find on MySpace. I like to go on MySpace and look around for you know, the bands that have like 500 friends, but they're really awesome, and get the word out about them. You see other DJs playing other music, and you're like, well, that's awesome, and you listen to their shows, and you learn about new bands that way. We're turning, hopefully, people on, listeners onto those bands, but then we are turning each other onto new bands. Um, especially me, like, I've learned about so many bands from just having a show in here two quarters, so I love it. In my life, I've never understood why people 
listen to nostalgic radio. I don't know why they listen to a station that plays 15 songs over and over. I've never understood that because the joy of music to me is the joy of discovering, the joy of being surprised by, by new sounds and new people and just amazing stuff. Student DJs often find that their time on the air is as valuable to their college experience as their hours spent in the classroom. My first year of college, I was kind of lost. I didn't really meet that many people and stuff. But then at the end of the year, when I got involved in KUCI, it just opened up this community within KUCI where you have a place to go and you have people to talk to and something really fun and interesting to do. When somebody comes through KUCI and spends a quarter or a year or four years here at the station, they come away with a lot of skills that their peers in college don't get. I mean, beyond the technical training and the, the process of producing and creating and doing a radio show, uh, they learn a lot of skills in terms of kind of managing themselves, managing projects, and managing people. So I'm just going to do a quick announcement say you're listening to KCI, and then after that, I'll play music. Next block, we'll talk. So, yeah. It does take a lot of time doing the interviews, editing the interviews, setting up the interviews, getting CDs. Everything takes time, but I see it as just as much of an educational value as my college, really. Though not a part of the academic world of UC Irvine, community DJs are an integral part of the station. Most students are only here for about four years, and then they move on. But people like me from the community are here for, you know, a decade or more. So we've got one DJ that's here, been over here for 30 years, almost since the beginning of the station back in 1969. So it's really interesting to see so many people that love the music, but it's amazing, the power of radio. It's great to have community members as a part of our KUCI family, because they do bring that involvement, that sort of perspective from the community. There's a little more experience, sort of life-lived experience, and I think any time you can bring these different perspectives to the radio station, I think it's to our benefit. Over the years, KUCI has played host to many local and nationally touring bands. It's really cool. It's really great to bring a band here. I've had a lot of cool bands. I had the Walkman on, I had Islands on, I had Akron Family on, I had Mike Watt here with Kira for Dose. Like, when I just think about it, it just boggles my mind how many cool people we've had here. KUCI's public affairs programs have also had their share of marquee guests. We've been very fortunate to attract some tremendous uh, talent. It is on the Academy Award shortlist for Best Documentary Feature. Prabhisuk Prasafath, welcome to film school. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. We've had Philip Glass, John Totoro, um, Frederick Wiseman, Haskell Wexler. Though just a small sliver on the radio dial, KUCI offers both its DJs and the university community a place for artistic expression, new ideas, and shared vision. You can come to uh, a radio station with your talents or with your ambition or both, and you can come up with new things to do. You can learn from other people. Uh, you can, it's a great creative outlet, and, uh, uh, and I think it's true with KUCI as well as College Radio in general, so everybody should give it a try. I don't do this because, you know, I have uh, some goals and no one's paying me to come here. You know, I'm here because I want to be here, because it was done for me, and I want to do it for other people. So that's really what keeps me coming back. This is Rachel Bradley at UC Irvine. KUCI streams online, so if you'd like to hear more from these eclectic DJs, 
go to KUCI.org. That's our program for tonight. State of Minds will be back in the spring. Until then, thank you for being with us. I'm Shannon Bradley. Good night. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.